couldn't be religious and gay. It was impossible. I was being marketed as some sort of like teenage it girl. When a girl kissed me on my 18th birthday, a whole other world opened up to me. I was a minor nuisance. Eight Australians will tell you about the choices that have led them to unexpected places. These are some of the stories you will hear on Let Me Tell You, a podcast where real people tell incredible real stories. Look for Let Me Tell You and follow wherever you get your podcasts. What do you want? I want him to be afraid. How afraid? I want him to be scared to death. You don't own me. I'm not your property. So take a shifty little beady eye over me. Goodbye, Commander. Welcome to Eyes on Gilead, a weekly podcast dedicated to The Handmaid's Tale. There is a lot going on in this show, and we think it helps to talk it out after every episode. I mean, I say that every week, but I think it's more true (laughs) this week than ever before. Anyway, I'm Fiona Williams, and I manage our online coverage of movies and TV here at SBS, and I'm joined by my friends, colleagues, and fellow resistors. Natalie Handley, Managing Editor of SBS Voices. Hello. Haley Island, Channel Manager of SBS On Demand. Hi. And Sana Kadar, host of All in the Mind for ABC Radio National. Hi. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we've just watched episode 10 of season four of The Handmaid's Tale, and it's the season finale. We got there. It is called Wilderness, and it was written by Bruce Miller and directed by Liz Garbus. June objects to Fred's plea bargain agreement and struggles to accept his pending freedom. I was a prisoner that Waterford would sometimes take out to fuck. And you were going to set him free. She draws on all her resources and relationships, risking everything to ensure her own kind of justice. I'm going to put Fred on the wall. I think my highlight is actually all the understated synopses they have for every episode. It's I like, know. really? Yeah, read between the lines, people. Friends, let me tell you I was transfixed. <laughs> transfixed. But before we get into our um, stand-up moments, I'll just let you know we are going to have interviews with this episode's director, Liz Garbus, and also with The Handmaid's Tale creator, showrunner and friend of the show, Bruce Miller. Uh, They will be coming up in standalone episodes of the podcast that will drop into your feeds very, very soon. But more on that later. Let's unpack these events. What stood out? Uh, Natalie, I'm going to go to you first because a couple of weeks ago you said you were all for maintain the rage. Um, (laughs) Is is this what you had in mind? (laughs) Is it wrong if I say it was amazing? I'm not about to go running through the wilderness hunting hunting down rapists, but but <laughs> um, what a thrill! Yeah, yeah, that was amazing. Yeah, is that what stood out for you? Just the general arc of the episode? Have you got something smaller? I do have something smaller, um, which was kind of on that topic, which was just how much Emily was into it. Mm. She mm. loved. Yes, it. <laughs> she was egging it on. Yeah. Uh, Sana, let's go to you. What stood out for you, big or small? Um, okay, I'll go with something small. Uh, it's when June said, sorry. You know, Gilead turns you into a bit of a cunt. <laughs> I just thought that was so funny and so true. Um, that Yeah, that was a bit of a laugh out loud moment. That was a highlight too. Um, Heidi, what about you? 
Oh, mine was Fred asking Serena if uh, they should do a Zoom call. (laughs) And then Serena having technical problems with the Zoom call, which made me feel really seen. (laughs) Very relatable, this uh, this episode, wasn't it? Um, For me, I I think it was just the detail of, and now it can be a euphemism of going to Geneva, (laughs) because it was just the idea of... um, I love the touch that it was Switzerland, you know, famously neutral, um, home of the Geneva Convention about humanitarian treatment, but then Fred's bound for a different kind of neutral territory, no man's land. Yeah. Yeah, Loved it. Nice little detail. And I've got to say, our predictions last week were wildly off. Oh my gosh, were they ever. I do remember saying something along the lines of Fred and June both go back to Gilead and... In a weird way, they both kind of did. Oh, you know, on yeah. the on the on the no borderland there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think I said, "Oh, there's a June Fred moment coming." Whoop. Yes. <laughs> oh boy, is there ever? Was there ever? Well, Fiona, yeah. you also said, you know, you you think it's going to close by being very dark, and it definitely was very dark. <laughs> yeah. It was very dark, but also yet a happy ending, mm. dare I say? Mm. But I also I think picking up Fiona on what you had said about there was always some sort of a deal with girls, I think maybe we should broaden that out to say women. In yep. that case, yes, there was. Yeah, and yeah. that was amazing. It was amazing. Yeah. It's actually so glad. I thought it was quite fitting for if we go with June as the hero this season, she wasn't just after her own children. Mm. It's always bigger than her. And I thought, oh, that's so beautiful. And it was so fitting that it was, was it like 23 women? Was that how many? 22 women. 22. And I wondered if it was the women she had saved from the cages from Lawrence that, you know, that episode last season, I think it was. Uh, but maybe not. Some of them could have been in there. Yeah, I was looking mm-hmm. at faces, but I didn't really recognise anyone. But also I was thinking, you know, trying to put yourself in their place and like, you might have yelled something out just at Fred as you were like, sucked in. Or, you know, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe wait till you were on the bus, you know. <laughs> But would be hard to resist. Like, you're getting yours, Freddie. Anyway, let's take it back to the start where it, it opens in a flashback of the triggering kind, Jezebel's with Fred and June. And the voiceover is a variation on her you treat it like a job mantra to the other aspect of having to be a woman in Gilead where you have to fake enthusiastic consent with your rapist. And she's saying, you know, it has to look like love. You have to pretend you like it. You have to pretend you love it. Pretend you want him. He is your commander. Make him your whole world. Freddie's very much still her whole world this episode. Yeah, and of course, we famously hear that echoed at the end with the characteristic flip (laughs) with how it starts and how it ends. So there was something in that scene which was very unusual. I don't think Handmaid's has sort of done that before because I didn't understand when she was talking about biting, like don't take a bite or something like that. And it looked like a realistic flashback almost of the two of them dancing. But then they both did this like fake biting towards each other, which kind of looked a little bit surreal or something. Mm. And I I don't think Handmaid's has sort of done that before. Yeah, I really noticed that as well. It was was almost like this little tableau that represented their relationship, Mm. um, the way they kind of froze in that position. And then that was mirrored again in the same expressions and positions at the end of the episode. And it really worked to imprint that as a kind of metaphor or a a motive for their relationship. Mm. And there was something else really interesting in that scene at the end where she's saying, don't bite. 
she stares down the barrel of the camera again. She breaks the fourth wall. And mm. since you pointed that out a few episodes ago, Sana, when she broke the fourth wall at the um, ICC testimony, it made me stop and notice it again. And I've noticed in TV in the last few years, there have been a lot more women breaking the fourth wall. And that's mm. and that's something that hasn't always happened. I mean, men have been breaking the fourth wall in television for a very long time. But I feel like in recent years, especially in comedy, um, I'm like, I'm thinking of Fleabag and uh, yeah. High Fidelity and... I've been watching a Spanish show recently called Nasdrovia that does it very well. And I think it goes to a little bit of just there being so many more well-written female characters these days, written by women. And breaking the fourth wall is a way to kind of add that layer of nuance to female characters. Mm. So, yeah, there's definitely something going on there. Mm. Within Handmaids, though, with the June's June stare, you know, she's always sort of done that a little bit, but I guess it's more it's standing out to us uh, or it's different because she's um, in the scene with with whatever character she's with and then turns to us, whereas the June stare sort of starts out looking Mm. at camera a little bit. It yeah. feels like this time when she's looking at us, it feels like she's challenging us. That mm. was the feeling that I got. It was really penetrating. Yeah, yeah. No, this season it has been. Like the first time we got the June Zoom was when she got off the boat, I think we remarked. So, oh, yes. And then from then on, we've always been aligned with her. And then since she got to Canada, like there are these challenges of like she's problematic for some people and she's had these far more complex storylines. So, yeah, I think it is a little provocative for sure. Yeah, if that little moment felt much more intimate than the June Zooms. (laughs) The hashtag June Zoom. But then, of course, June has her second day in court, sort of, and it's far less triumphant than her testimony of only a few short weeks ago. Tuello is proving to be the cog in the machine that he is. She's making a victim impact statement, basically, but, you know, it's so meaningless. It's in an empty room with a camcorder. And remember back in the testimony, when she came in, the judge told her to take her time. So they were waiting for her. But here, she's telling the camcorder guy to take his time while he's setting up. So it's like just total flip. No respect, no justice. It's epically shitty. And it's so meaningless, we don't even hear her testimony this time. Yeah, Mm. absolutely. But we had this conversation with Tawello where she puts out there, is is he everything you'd hoped for? And he quite honestly says... Absolutely. He is proving to be an intelligence asset of great value. Yeah. (laughs) I just love the idea of Fred being an intelligence asset. (laughs) He was never the sharpest brain in Gilead. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And I love June's line to Tawello that, you know, weak weak men... They do make the world go round. She's, you know, talking about Tuello as much as she's talking about Fred yep. there. Um, he gets that point. Yeah, and I love <laughs> yeah, the little, just does. all the little references to circles. Men, you know, weak men make the world go round. She comes out a revolving door. Yeah, comes out a revolving door. Even the even the flashback with Fred and June in Jezebel's, they're spinning in a slow circle, like a slow anti-clockwise circle. Mm. And then obviously there's all the, the handmaid's circles that come back. Oh, yeah. At the end of this episode. <laughs> oh, yeah. But then also when she heads outside and looks up, she sees the electric, the overhead lines, almost like a train track. And like I love the train analogy throughout this season. It's been obviously the, the massacre by the train tracks with the handmaids and then the milk tank <laughs> episode mm-hmm. jumping the freight train to Chicago. But, you know, she's standing there and then this tram goes past. Street and car. I, the no, Trontonian calls it a tram. It's a streetcar. Apologies. <laughs> <laughs> 
I stand corrected. Um, so, yes, streetcar goes by and um, streetcar called Revenge. <laughs> I like analysing the use of trains on screen and, you know, just the idea of it's got a destination and it's not doing any U-turns, it's not turning around, it's uh, all stations mm. to no man's mm. land. Mm. <laughs> I like that. Um, that feels very June, doesn't it? She's very driven, single-minded, she knows what she wants, she's going for it. Mm. Yes, that absolutely fits. Mm. Yeah. On tracks. Oh. Sorry. Uh, yeah. One track mind. <laughs> We're getting off track. Um, so then she heads home to Luke, the peacemaker, who he does say it's a miracle you and Nicole are both here. And Serena brings up the idea of a miracle later on as well with Fred when she says, it really is a miracle, Fred, what you've done. So this idea of miracles is just planted. Yeah, I wondered if that is a little opposite to the fate of the train. Like, I just wondered if, if there's some something there. I've got nothing else beyond that. Just putting mm-hmm. it out there. Who knows? Mm, got nothing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But I this do is... like that you picked that up, though. I'm going to take that away and think about it now. All right. Percolate on rewatch. <laughs> but then here's the conversation where Rita's there, Moira's there, and they're just reflecting on this unresolved issue of Fred. He's bound for Geneva. How nice for him to get off scot-free, basically. And Moira, of course, Moira's got the line of the episode where she says, End of the week, he will be gone by the end of the week. (laughs) Not wrong. Not wrong. Um, And the detail here of Rita, who can't stop being a Martha. Oh, she needs to serve people. It It is good. When June says, Rita, I need need you to to stop stop serving me. And I need you to stop cleaning. I am I'm working on it with my therapist. (laughs) (laughs) She knows. Very satisfying to hear that at least one of them is getting professional therapy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Look, this scene was really nice just to have them all in a kitchen together, which was lovely. I also like the fact that the kitchen this time did not feel like the Waterford kitchen. In previous (laughs) episodes, it has felt very Waterford-y. So I like that that sort of tone was gone. But what I really liked was how angry Moira was. She was actually furious. And I think sometimes... I know that I forget that she's Fred's victim as well Um, because he would frequent Jezebel's, as we know, Mm. you know. Um, And so considering that she was clamping down on June's anger in previous episodes, I kind of liked that we saw her rage when she realised that Fred was getting off. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it also, that point, you know, they're both united in their rage, but the way they deal with it is different because, of course, Moira doesn't join the pack at the end. We we see her, she's in the house. But, yeah, so whether or not she knows... That's up for debate, I guess, but um, they have different outlets because Moira has been out longer and she's giving the therapy, like she's leading the therapy. Her form of moving on seems to be very much turn the other cheek in this. But what we're seeing, you know, at the end here is very much an eye for an eye type of justice. So Moira's got a very different sort of take on how to deal with it all. Mm. And it's interesting on eye for an eye, um, June says to Emily at one point that her mother told her, you know, if you want to understand Gilead... The way to do it is to remember that, you know, they bought a whole lot more of the Old Testament, which is what an eye for an eye is from, whereas, you know, turn the other cheek is New Testament stuff. Of course. Yeah, I love that Holly's referenced even momentarily. I'm always loving those callbacks to her mum. Loved her. Moira still has so much more trust in the system. You know, she believes that you can get justice through the proper institutions and systems. And she wants June to go to Geneva and speak to the press and use the media and and use that as her point of leverage. Whereas June has realised that these systems, they don't work. They They fail. More often than not, do not work. 
and she has to resort to, uh, you know, Gilead ways. Yeah, take out some Old Testament kind of justice. Mm-hmm. Um, but the line here as well that June is reflecting on the fact that it's failed and they know full well her story. She got to tell her story and ultimately it didn't matter. And she says, maybe he's more important than I am. They know what he was, what he did and how it felt. So maybe what he's giving them is more valuable than what he took from me. Don't say that. That was heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, like this idea of value, the leverage. Leverage has been all across this series. And then, of course, we get to a trade <laughs> situation again mm. later in the episode with well, J-Law. And even that trade is heartbreaking. Yeah. The fact that it takes 20-whatever women to equal one man mm-hmm. in this situation that is amazing that she gets so many women out in that trade but it is heartbreaking that it takes that many women for yeah. one man yeah it, like just knowing what he did to one person isn't enough to put him away may i yeah. make one more point that i wanted to make about that house did you notice always the light shining in the windows yeah. at luke and yeah june's house it was overwhelming in this scene you know it was shining in the front door <laughs> as June opened it. And then it was also shining in the kitchen window on the other side of the house. It was like <laughs> perpetually <everywhere>. late afternoon, <laughs> late afternoon all around this house. It's just bathed in light. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I do love the light sources, the multiple light sources when for good scenes like this. And, you know, also it follows Rita. And, the, you know, that remember she was bathed in light and had that quote about it a couple of, a couple of episodes ago. Yeah, good shout. Um, and yet from that house, we then go to Fred being questioned before the panel, and he's not being real helpful, has faux bad memory about the name of a now deceased woman. Was it Ryan? Was it Riley? Um, <laughs> yeah, was it? I wasn't at Jezebel's. Yeah. So Mr. Invaluable Intelligence Asset... <laughs> Is pathetic once more. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I think one of the highlights of the episode is seeing Fred in all of his infuriating Fredness, you know. <laughs> but having three women question him was fantastic. And they're questioning him about women that got stolen from America and put into sex service in Jezebel's, you know. And the fact that one of them was murdered by a commander, was he Was he ever tried? Of course he wasn't. No charges. You know? So it was a fairly quick scene, but I think that that sort of packed a lot of punch. Yeah, mm-hmm. and already a clue about the way that justice is doled out yes. in Gilead. Hint! And Serena in this, ugh, sitting behind her man, like how annoying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, sli- I, you know, I was wondering what was going through her head. I was like, this must be hard to hear kind of stuff. But then when she, you know, goes outside and talks to Tuello, you're like, what, Serena? Okay, she's 100% backing her man and really bossing Tuello around and he's taking it from her? That was strange. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's in full flight. She's full Serena in that scene. Mm. Um, very presumptuous. <laughs> wants the house, wants good Wi-Fi for Fred because his constituents have a right to hear from him. Yeah, I was thinking, how much power does she actually have? Like, I know that Fred's been granted his freedom, but all the stuff that she was demanding, yeah, like not just the great internet, but like, <laughs> which was granted, you know, for all those Zoom calls now. And a house big enough for the three of them? How, how, how big a house do you need? I'm in a flat. You'll be fine in a small place. <laughs> yes. I was waiting for Tuella to just turn to her and be like, well, you know, you're not free. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Because why is she free? Like, Fred is giving evidence in return for his freedom, but what's getting Serena off the hook? I'm wondering about Mm, that. Yeah, that's not spoken about, is it? Mm. 
And again, the coziness between Tuello and Serena here is all. Mm. I know you have thoughts on this, Madam <laughs> Natalie Handley. But he, he questions her allegiance to Fred, like her newfound allegiance. He almost seems a little hurt by mm-hmm. it. Yeah. One could Doesn't suggest. Doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> oh, you notice? <laughs> well, my first thought when they were having that moment together was, oh, she's being punchy. Yeah. <laughs> it's back again. <laughs> but, yeah, I kind of like that he basically got to ask the question that yeah. we all are wondering, like, you know, like once she comes out and you realise that she's fully backing Fred, yep, standing by her man, insisting that he be called Commander, Ugh. wanting all the respect that he is apparently due. Yeah, and when he says, like, are you actually going to go back and like live with him? Can you explain that to me? And I was like, yes, please explain that to us. And then she's just like, I don't believe I have to. Um, but the fact that he was so looked hurt by it, that, yeah, part of me is wondering, I know we said that it's not a soap opera and they don't do twists, but part of me is still going, is this his baby? Like, oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. Well, why, I is go he, there. why is he so into this? But he actually seems genuinely hurt by the fact that she's going back with Fred. So he really had a different picture of who Serena was in his mind. And I like that he's now actually seeing the Serena that we all know. Yeah, yeah. It's like, yep, yeah. there she is. Yeah, and don't get a crush on the dictator, Mark. Well, I said a few episodes back that I thought he was naive to Serena. And I think this scene kind of proves it. He really thought Serena would act differently. um, But she acted just as most of us have always thought she would. You know, she's 100% back. Yeah, I get to tell hints of it before, but he hasn't seen the full Serena in full flight. And that was classic Gilead Serena. Yeah, I disagree. Yes, I love disagreement. Bring it. Quail surprise. I I still believe that Serena isn't all in and that she's she's feeling backed into a corner like this is her only option. She is reluctantly sitting back there behind Fred. Sure, she's kind of bitching about what he's been called in the interview and that he's not getting respect, but I think deep down she doesn't want to be there and Tuello sees that. You know, he's spent a long time trying to convince her to leave Gilead to turn on Fred and Part of that is that he wanted Fred all along, but part of it, I think, is genuine concern for Serena. So I think Tuello can see through Serena's facade and he can see that she's not all in. I do actually agree with that because she Mm. did seem... She wasn't fully into it, you know? It's kind of like when Fred says that he really wants to Zoom and she's like, yeah, we can Zoom. Yeah. He taps something. She pauses before she responds to him, like, you know... In the later scene with Fred? Uh... uh, in the scene outside the interview room where he asks why she's doing this, she hesitates. Mm. He gets her. He gets... Mm-hmm. He sees something there. We perhaps will come back to it, but the later scene with Fred and Serena I would like to unpack because uh, yes. that is a whole different Serena. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, Heidi, on your point, I, I actually I do sort of agree with some of that because I think what we've seen throughout is Fred and Serena really shapeshift depending on what circumstances serve them, right? So at the moment, Serena thinks her eggs in Fred's basket is where where she's going to have the most power and security. So she's going all out sort of defending him and, and playing in that role. But the second she realizes Fred is gone and her security is gone, who knows what she's going to start to say. And the same with Fred when he met with June, you know, saying I'm sorry and all of that. I wonder if he ever would have said that if he wasn't, you know, in, in prison in Canada. They, they say what they need and they change what they're, they value based on the circumstances they find themselves in and how they can best survive. So mm-hmm. there's probably a bit of that going on too. 
Yeah, they've always been an interesting couple because it's not based on love. There's like this weird symbiosis which is happening between them and I don't know that it's power or maybe it's just survival, but there's something about the two of them works in a in a really dysfunctional way, but it's definitely it's not power. love. <laughs> it's power. Yeah, it's definitely not love. And so they will cling to each other to both get ahead because it both suits their needs, but they both also clearly hate each other, and they all and they always have, which is um, yeah, it's it's an odd dynamic to watch. So it, it kind of makes perfect sense that of course Serena is now backing the Fred horse because that's where it looks like things are going to turn out. Yeah, in favor. at that point. Yeah. At that point. Yes. Yeah. Of yeah. the interview scene. Yeah. If she puts on the dress and plays the dutiful wife in the interview, Fred's going to be freed. She's going to be freed. She can go off and write her book and, you know, start talking to the public again and get her whole life back. Yes, but between that, uh, June and Emily have their catch-up on the step. Reflecting on the unsatisfactory outcome and the impersonal nature of June's second testimony, and they lament that Gilead is better at justice. Um, they'd never stand for that in Gilead. They prefer justice with a personal touch. This is where June recalls Holly and, and the Old Testament. And Emily can recite the Book of Psalms by heart. She so quotes Psalm 5810. The righteous will rejoice in vengeance and wash their feet in the blood of the, the wicked. It's good stuff. She jokes that it's good stuff. <laughs> I didn't fully understand this scene as it was unfolding. Correct. But later on, when I reflected back and I was like, <laughs> oh, that all makes sense now. Because I did think it was that they were having a bit of a weird interaction and June was sort of sharing how she felt guilty as a mother and Emily didn't really say anything in response. And I thought, that's weird. But in hindsight, looking like looking back yeah, and seeing that Emily had pretty much set up kind of exactly what was going to happen later. But looking back on it now, what I also appreciate is the two different sides of Emily that we see because when she enters that scene, she is walking with Oliver and she is in full mum mode and she's like, yes, you can kick your ball on the front yard, you know, and and having a joke about how he doesn't feel the cold and references a study and it's all very mum Emily and like academic <laughs> Emily. And then they're just having this casual chat about blood and vengeance. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just, for me, it's like, oh, Gilead has changed them so much. It is just sort of activated this other part in their persona now that just exists side by side mm -hmm. with all their other, I would say, normal them. Mm. <laughs> there is like normal them and now there is this Gilead part and it is a part of them. Yeah. And yeah, it sounds like they're joking about, you know, their trauma and, you know, Emily recalls the pious little shit line from when yeah. we first met them. But you're right, like June, she says, I really want to let go of him. Like, you know, she wants to shed the Fred thing mm. and you know, is agonising, saying a good mother would be able to let this go. A good mother would be able to let go. And she repeats that line, yeah. I just think, uh, yeah. uh, we've mentioned mother guilt before, and mother guilt is just insane. Like, that's so highly relatable that you are always trying to be perfect for your children, and then you think that, like, even if you've got trauma that would be affecting it you'd feel you'd feel guilty for that too like there is just no end there's just no end of things to feel guilty about so that made perfect sense yeah that line that emily said from the bible reminded me that both these women have killed people yeah. in gilead like uh, emily, oh, emily emily my God. ran over a guardian she had a red hot go at killing aunt lydia yeah. <laughs> and you know june has she shot two guardians at the end of last season you know these women 
have violent tendencies when when pushed. Well, also they've been trained to kill, like the whole Lydia, mm. like trained them, and it, like they they're agents of the state for yeah. meeting out this justice. So, yeah, they've done it on their own <laughs> on their own time, but also on the clock they were assassins for mm. for the Freds. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of Fred, then we go to June paying him a visit. And didn't we all have flashbacks of her paying Serena a visit, (laughs) thinking, where the hell is this going to go? And they held that tension as she stalked him around the room. Yes, I know. Poured a drink. After hanging out with Esther at the start of the season, I was convinced she was about to poison him. Was anybody else convinced? <laughs> I thought she was going to glass him. Yeah, I thought yeah, she was going to smash that glass and stab him in the throat. Because <laughs> she she went into that corner of the room and she was looking at things, and then he went and got the, and pulled the drinks from that corner, and I'm like, she has poisoned that alcohol. And then she then she took a swig, and I realized it was going in a different direction but was yeah. very on yeah, but the whole time you're waiting for her to do something right mm. but it was um we had delayed gratification on that front we absolutely did and this is her monologue come to life you know drawing it out pretending to like him pretending to love it I know, yeah. this is how she does it had him fooled and nice little touch. It could have actually been my favourite part, like a, a call out. But when she picks up that book, which is The Tools of Argument, which is like a how the best lawyers think, argue and win. And um, <laughs> she gives him a little, like, his cheers to that. You know, she could write that book. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, his little legal strategy book there. And this is where old Mr. Euphemism apologises for the discomforts um, that she, she experienced in his household. And of course, he is a guy who can only muster the capacity to empathise when he has a child on the way yeah. um, and he can imagine that it's them. Now he's sorry that the children were taken because as a father, he can, um, <laughs> he can relate now. So he cares. Gosh, that doesn't that remind you of somebody else? Yeah. So many, so many people. Yes. If if you had a daughter on the way, perhaps he'd you know also apologise for being a rapist because he'd imagine his own daughter in that position. So mm. yeah, yeah, that was a nice touch, very relatable moment. And the thing that I I liked about this is that um, it reminded us and showed us a side of Fred, which I always kind of enjoyed because I thought it was true, which is that he. Like he's always been obsessed with June, but he always has really had his sort of patriarchal blinkers on in terms of what his role is. He actually genuinely thought that she was into it. He actually always thought that she liked him and that when he took her to Jezebel's, he was treating her to a nice dress and a drink and a night in a hotel, you know, like date night. Yeah, date night. He's always been twisted in his mind that he has never been able to see his actions for what they are, that he thought they had a relationship, they had something special. And she was able to really dig into that because, as she said in the car later, she knows exactly who he is. Mm -hmm. That whole idea of like not being able to fully empathize, which echoes again, now he can understand because he's a father. If only that wasn't so relatable for everyone, why does it always take someone having personal experience for them to finally get it? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's possible to care about someone's <laughs> well-being without having to put yourself in their shoes. This scene did for a moment take me back to season one where Fred invited June into his office and they were both yeah. mm. sharing whiskeys totally. and playing Scrabble and having those little conversations. And the moment where they were kind of reminiscing about both missing Offred. I thought that was really interesting because, in a way, those 
early interactions with Fred are what taught June about this kind of double world that exists mm-hmm. in Gilead and, and how, you know, those with power can play on a slightly different level. And if you know the right people, then the rules change. And inadvertently, it was Fred that taught June to become a rebel. It was it was him that taught her to become Mayday. And so in a way, he did kind of create the June of Gilead yeah. or, or a light the fire of that June. And they have a drink to that. <laughs> <laughs> and you're right, like that's very much episode one, season one. And there's so many callbacks to that episode across this one, including the use of the song. Leslie Gore, You Don't Know Me comes in later in. Oh, yep. You know, we have... As she's walking to him in this scene, there's the callbacks to the ceremony. Like, it's June in the house, June here. There's so much crossover. Like, this could be a series finale. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, if there wasn't unresolved points on Hannah and Serena and everyone. Like, you know, it could all end now and I'd be happy. (laughs) You know what I mean? But but I still want more, so I'm not. But um, So this scene, of course, you know, we're wondering what the hell she's going to do here. But she is in Canada. The law's are what they are there, just as well she didn't glass him um, or poison him or do anything else. So she stalks him and bides her time, thankfully. The way she stalks him in this episode is really interesting and animalistic in the way it ends as well. And I guess it was name-checking her mum made me think of that wolf that was in the Holly episode back in the day, the birth oh, episode. Wow. Um, I forgot about that. Yeah. Remember that wolf that was outside yeah. and we, we talked about, was it a threat? Heidi, you brought up, is it um, a pack and a, and a comforting thing? I think it's definitely a pack thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think here we see the... I, I don't know. I, that just made me think of that, that wolf. Um, it's funny that you mentioned that because what, like having watched this episode, I suddenly thought of the line that Hulu have, like the catchphrase that Hulu have put out for this season, which was, yes. let us pray, but pray spelt P-R-E-Y. Oh, wow. yes. And I, I remember kind of seeing that and thinking, hmm, that's a little bit odd. I'm not sure how I feel about that. And now I'm like... Oh my goodness, it was hiding there in plain sight it's the so whole clever. season. I love <laughs> Guys, we it. have to get cleverer at this. <laughs> it's, it's all there. <laughs> if you look. Um, yeah, good, good pick up, Hedy. Yes, so from that scene, Luke clearly picks her up. He's trying to be peacemaker, saying, put it all behind you. He does allude to the fact that Waterford has some crazies and they might be around the house, so there's increased security, which was an interesting line. We don't see them, especially when she sneaks out later. I assume they're the people we saw protesting. Yes, but we don't see them at the house. He just alludes to there's going to be more security, but she sneaks away. In this, there's a couple of times that men across the episode tell her that they understand or they get it. And it's like, no, you don't, fellas. (laughs) Like Luke in the car there says, I get that, I get that. And then (laughs) Tuello later on says, I understand. (laughs) Telling someone with trauma that you understand and that they should get over it are like the two things you shouldn't do to someone with trauma. Yep. Totally. He had a line in the car, which is like, which was about, let's go, like, don't don't you wish we were back home in Boston yes. and that we could go to Pepe's? And, and I remember thinking, what is the meaning of this? Why has he said that? And I thought, what does Boston really evoke for me in this series? And it is the opening of season two. Yes. Yeah. We all wondered what happened when June got bundled into that car at the end of season one and then to find out in season two that she was being taken to the stadium and... They were there literally thinking they were about to die. Like the nooses were there. They were like ready to go. And it was so traumatic. And Mm -hmm. then after that, 
The other Boston thing that comes to mind is when she was hiding out and she mm. was hiding out mm. in the, the newspaper. newspaper. The Boston Globe, was yeah. it? Yeah, and how violent that was. Like the aftermath that we could see of when Gilead had actually gone through the, the newsroom and like yeah. the women's shoes that were just discarded and blood on the wall where people had been executed. And so... Bullet holes. Yeah, yeah. and so thinking of like, thinking, yeah, there is so much Luke doesn't know. There yep. is so much she has endured. Also, just the months that she spent alone, which I think we all have a different perspective now on how isolating that must have been when she was when she was hiding out. Yeah, totally. And like for him, like he's remembering the Boston he left. Mm. You know, he got out. Mm. Yeah, and like she's thinking of the Boston she left as well, and they ain't the same Boston. Mm. And it's him saying that that makes her think of the wall. And like, yeah, I'm going to yeah. put him on the wall, which sounds so crazy, doesn't yes. it? <laughs> Totally. It's like, how are you going to do that? How's yeah. that going to happen? Yeah. And someone who's not seen them all, like Luke, he's like, you got to let it go. you got to let him go, he says. Yeah, but like, like she said in the mantra at the start, you know, you make him the centre of your world. And he so is at the moment. She has a one-track mind mm-hmm. and that puts her in front of Tuello's house. So now she's, you know, pushing those boundaries even more. Yeah, how, how very dare she show up at where Tuello lives? That's a gross, <laughs> that's grossly inappropriate. He has his boundaries. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like, he suddenly realises who he's, t- who he's talking to and what she's actually gone through and he apologises for his tone. <laughs> so before this scene happens, we are to believe that she is arriving here waiting for him to finish his jog because she has already, like, unbeknownst to us, has gone out and has contacted the embassy and has already arranged Spoken to Lawrence. Yep, exactly. Already arranged a call with Lawrence, arranged a meeting point. So look, my only kind of sticking point in this whole episode was it was so important that like Tuello actually goes with her, goes for a drive with her and turns up. And he might just not have jogged by. Maybe he stopped for a coffee somewhere else. It just feels <laughs> No, but that's his house. Yes, so but he like, would show up at some point. I think she would have waited all night. Yeah. She can wait, but can Lawrence wait? Like it just Oh, I see. It just felt like it was this really important meeting and it was all just coming down to her ability to be able to get him in the car at that time to take her to the place. But I'm letting it slide because clearly it was amazing. Um, fate. It's fate. was going to happen. <laughs> um, yes, but of course it does. And so the convoy pulls up at the diner in the booths and who's sitting there but... Mr. Smuggity Smugs, Joe Lawrence. And um, I enjoy Lawrence and Tuello sitting opposite each other because they're kind of each other's opposite numbers and, like, they're both quid pro quo kind of guys. It's all about the trade, the value. So, um, yeah, they they get each other. But Tuello, a couple of times this episode, he says, I'll check with my boss. You know, like, he's not the the guy making the call. But um, I like that he's confronted with a moral dilemma. You know, you've got your big fish, mate, but... Here's something else of value and you want to save people, now's your chance. You can come out from behind your bureaucratic persona and make it happen. What do we think of that bargain that um, the folders of women, um, <laughs> Lawrence and his binders of women. But also how Gilead has, has swung. You know, they weren't willing to, to bring Fred back previously, but now that he is a liability to the state, Lawrence has some scope to, to make this deal. I'm wondering about this, though, because I'm wondering whether the other commanders know about about this deal and if mm. they do how's it going to go down when they realize oh these 22 women are gone and there's no fred in return aren't they going to wonder what the hell happened there or is this something just orchestrated by lawrence and nick 
Like, I'm, I'm very confused as to mm. who knows what. Mm. Well, I think last episode with Putnam's visit and with Naomi's efforts, despite what Naomi was saying, like, Fred would have faced execution. Like, the, the justice yeah. there. So I, I think they, the fact that Fred came back and was in... Nick took charge as they are at the border and, and bundled him off for execution. I think that's probably right. what he would have got anyway. So I don't think they'd mm. mind that Fred came back briefly and then has now gone AWOL. Probably not right. the execution they had in mind. <laughs> I think it's actually a big win for Lawrence. He can actually probably spin a promotion out of this. Yeah. It's sort of, he's very, he's rational and I'm, I think this ticks a lot of boxes for him. So he gets to get like June off his back for a while. Tick. <laughs> He gets to get Fred back and he's also taken care of the Fred problem. Mm. Tick. And then he also gets to release some women, which probably um, in terms of his ledger, in, term, mm. in terms, of the, terms of the crimes against humanity that like, he has committed and the ones that he's trying to make up for, I think he's managed to put a few more on the side of good. So, you know, mm. tick, 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 tick. And also for Gilead, he's gotten rid of a lot of troublemakers. Like they were the Mayday element. Yeah, mm. that's true. So like the Lawrence and Tuella thing again, like Lawrence got his big fish. <laughs> like they're just trading <laughs> the big fish. Yeah, everything's coming up, Lawrence. And the way everything that he said was so great. Like you could see that like he didn't mean any of it, mm. which was just so fantastic, you know, about how they really want to get their brother home or something like <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah, he's just having a crisis of faith. Yes. <laughs> yeah, um, pious little shit. <laughs> it was wonderful. Yeah. And so now from there, well, as June is leaving, he tells her, you haven't lost your touch, but also, you know, makes the point. Whatever happens to him if we get him, won't be enough for you. What happened after that to nego- to get her in? Yeah, there's another conversation that we don't witness, I think. He always gets under her skin, I think. I th- he's always He always manages, because he knows her as well. You know, she knows Fred. She also knows him, and I think he knows, and I think Lawrence knows her as well. He knows what makes her tick, yeah. um, which I find interesting because Luke does not know this side of yes. June, and it's not just... June when she's in Gilead. It actually just is June now, you know. It's like this part of her which can be incredibly strategic has been activated and it is there now and Lawrence absolutely knows that part of her. And so when he says this is not going to be enough for you, I think she knows that's true. I think that sort of like gets underneath her skin and she has to and and I think that is probably the thing that has instigated what the plan eventually becomes. Mm, That's certainly the start of it and I think the next scene with Emily Mm -hmm. (laughs) really cements that. So um, yeah, I one other thing in that scene when she says, don't be a dick, Joe. (laughs) He he can't help himself. He just had to do it because of course he has to. (laughs) Worth a try. Yeah, exactly. So then we're now at the scene at the house where um, Emily, Moira, Luke and June are together. Luke overhears this weird conversation with Emily and June as... Emily's, I guess they've maybe come from therapy because they tend to have dinner at, at their house afterwards because Emily's doing a, how do you feel? <laughs> like kind of talking like that. So, but how do you really feel? And then she's, yeah, absolutely egging her on with Luke looking concerned over over the back. Um, God, I love Emily's quiet, understated rage. Like, you know, I underestimate what what she's capable of because we forget because she is so quiet and, and sort of um you know a bit shrinking but she's so fabulous when she comes out with how she's really feeling it's amazing totally she has got some moxie and the whole line i want him to be scared to death yes because yeah, yeah, june says i want him to be afraid and emily's like 
how afraid. And, the, and when she says it, she like has a little smile as well. <laughs> I love this, Emily. Yeah. And I also love where the guys are saying, I get it. I understand. Emily doesn't say that, but it's no. just the look. Like mm. she does get it. And, um, mm. and how. From there, we go to the scene with Serena that I would very much like to discuss because that's where Fred comes. Yes. He's getting ready to quote unquote go to Geneva. Does Serena know? Well, this is interesting. No. Watch it. Watch it. <laughs> not that June's going to get her. Not, not that June's going to be there and get him, but that he's actually not going to Geneva. I don't know. The way Yvonne Strahovski played this, it's yeah. very much like she played last season, the trip to Canada. Flat expression. Oh, wow. Hedy, you're a gape. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just having a quiet revelation here Same. because I didn't read it that way, but I think you might be right. Watch it back. Yeah, it's a little bit of a farewell or a, like a non-farewell. It's a, uh, you're not going to Geneva for it and I can't wait. She starts using her maiden name. She's on the phone and I tried to pick up the dialogue of that, but it's something about when he's when he goes. But I don't, yeah, I don't know if it's plotting or anything, but it's a flat expression not that? she's not high on the hog thinking my freedom's coming like it's she it's said something else it's serena joy and i thought that was weird but i couldn't figure out why i thought that was weird and it's because she didn't say waterford oh yeah <laughs> yeah because you just said you mm. just said you know she was using her maiden name and i'm like yes she was i am thrown off by the fact that she logs in for the zoom call at the end she's yes she's expecting him to be there or is she just checking that's why i read it because it, it's different. Like, it's she yeah. she does, <laughs> but mm. I don't think it's to Zoom Ooh. with Fred. It's to, has it happened yet? Yeah, I, yeah you could absolutely just, you could read it both ways. I love that it's ambiguous. Yeah. yeah. That, that's yeah. why I just wanted to check with you. What, Ooh, where I we land that. on that? <laughs> but my question is, you know, with, with Fred gone, how does that serve her? Because she's kind of binding forces with Fred was where her power was now going to come from. So isn't she in danger with Fred gone now? I don't know. I assume she's going to get her freedom. I assume that must have been part of the the plea bargain in, I would think in Fred so. giving information because otherwise you know something would have been said between her and Tuello. Mm. So I'm I'm just assuming yeah. she's going to get her freedom now. Yeah. She is going to run into June at the supermarket, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a real possibility. Well, season 5, yeah, I mean there's unfinished business with her and I still think that she thought Fred was going to Geneva. Okay. I actually, yeah. yeah, I think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna stick with that reading for the for the moment. Mm-hmm. I think that she did think that Fred was going to Geneva, and I just think that she is now, she's got that frustration of a woman who is now tying herself to this man that she doesn't actually like, and she has to tie herself to him for her own gain. But she's so over him. She is just so done, <laughs> you know. Like he's, he's like, I'm gonna miss you, and and like. My notes for that scene were like, brr, like it was cold in there. Like she could not get him out of her room fast enough. He is just like this thing that she has that she will use when she has to, but she doesn't want, like she doesn't love him. There's no emotion. So I thought that she did think he was going to Geneva and that she was on that Zoom later on fully expecting him to be there and I think a little package that she gets in the mail later we can talk about that later Uh, anyway so I'm sticking with the thing that she thought he was going to Geneva and that she was still wedded to him okay this is a kiss on the bridge thing now isn't it (laughs) (laughs) but it is going to percolate it is going to be whirring away in, in my mind for the rest of this conversation 
I think on the whole, Natalie, I'm kind of um, where you are as well, because my first watch, I just thought, you know, she's being like that because she kind of can't stand him, but she has to be around him. So she's just cold and ready for him to sort of give her some peace and, and space. And then the second watch is when I was like, hang on, does she know a little bit about what's going on? But overall, yeah, same as you. I, I don't think she because I, I can't understand the gain or why someone would tell her or why she would be yeah. in on it yet. It's, yeah. it's not clear to me. Maybe it's a hope. <laughs> maybe it's a hopeful that, you know, fate might intervene and, yeah, he won't get there. Yeah, maybe she's not been fully briefed on it, but it's certainly watching it. I can't read her mood because she's very different. It's not the mood of someone who whose release is imminent and will go house hunting straight away. It's a nervous But isn't flatness. that when she says... It's a miracle what you've done, Fred. Like, isn't she... That's the scene where she says that, right? Correct. But it's a very uh, withheld way of saying it. Like, she's not happy. But isn't that also how she's always been in all of her scenes with Fred in this prison? Like, she's never been effusive in any way. So it's not really a departure from Mm. how she's been. I love the ambiguity. I I don't know. (laughs) I like the read that she doesn't know Mm. anything. Because I, I like overall the idea that... In this episode, June inadvertently releases Serena of this relationship that yes. she can't quite release herself. Yep. I just love that idea of June helping Serena well, <laughs> in I this just, way. I love the touch at the end and I, maybe I'm jumping ahead, but she gets a finger. She lost her finger to Fred yeah. and she gets his finger <laughs> back. <laughs> so uh, and in the post. So if we can dig into Serena a little bit at this point. Yes. Um, it's her last scene. For yeah, it is. Scene. And so... So I'm still sticking with the fact that she is still with Fred and thinks that Fred's going to Geneva. She has been doing all this work and she has given him all of these files, you know. Mm. And what sort of really struck me about this later is we've been talking about how June and Serena have been mirroring each other this season and what does this mean. And I think we really see that in this episode, what the difference is between them. Serena is powerful, she is strategic, she is smart, and as soon as she has had this sort of glimpse of freedom, she has grabbed it. She's doing all of this research, all of this effort. And then I think it mirrors June because June is powerful, she is strategic, she is smart. Except look at what the two outcomes are. <laughs> June is using all of these amazing abilities she has and she is using them to free 20 th- like 22 women from Gilead. Yeah. Serena takes all of these amazing skills that she has <laughs> and she uses them for herself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's just, it's like think of considering the amazing abilities that she does have, what she could actually use them for, what she could actually achieve if she just used that sense of like diabolical <laughs> um, <laughs> inside and strategy and maneuvering if she actually used that to help people but instead it's all just to further her own aims and so I I feel like we've got a bit of a conclusion to the June versus Serena are they merging into one I think we now have the answer oh god yeah (laughs) (laughs) to quote June in this episode nope (laughs) there's Um, also an element of just how much harder women have to work to You know, achieve the same as men. And she has done all of this research. She has prepared all of these notes for, <laughs> for his him. case in Geneva. And he complains that he can't watch the in-flight movie because he's got to read it. And, you know, it takes 20 women to equal one one man in a trade, you know. Like women have to do twice as much or 20 times as much to, to get the same recognition as 
an average man. Yeah. It's almost like there's a man in power who is not smart enough to do the research himself or actually be able to read the notes. I'm not saying that that's mirroring anyone mm. that was recently in a very high office, but how interesting. Yeah. Um, and ironically, he's the one with the textbook in his room, the tools of argument about the lawyering <laughs> strategies and such. And yeah, I bet that spine has not been broken <laughs> on that book. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, so there you go. So that's Serena Joy's wrap up for this season. Yes. I don't know whether she knew. I think she was wondering whether he got there. I don't think it was to log on with some Fred, but certainly won't be getting any more Zoom calls from Fred Waterford because he's high on the hog, taking his wheelie case out bound for Geneva and uh-uh, Mr. Tuolo, sorry to break it to you. You're not going to Geneva. Bundled in the back of the van, very reminiscent of June getting in a box in yes. the torture episode. Loved it. Or yeah. June being bundled into a van at the end of season yeah. one. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Chains um, on his neck, chains on his legs. Yeah, so many details here that are callbacks to previous episodes this season, this whole series. Yeah. Sucks, doesn't it, Fred? (laughs) (laughs) Consequences? The look on his face is priceless. The I'm a man, I have rights lines. Do you hear me, Twelve? Just don't even start me. Oh, I laughed out loud. (laughs) Yeah. And I love when he gets gets out of the van and thinks he's going to be, you know, marched off and shot somewhere. The look on his face when he's told he's going home... It's mm. worse. It's a worse yeah, idea for yeah. him. Mm-hmm. And on this show, all anyone has ever wanted is to go home <laughs> to Fred. <laughs> that is the worst option whatsoever. And then, of course, the prisoner exchange loophole. Your government has made us a guarantee that you will be tried under the former Gilead justice system. You helped write those laws, didn't you? You work for these women. Now it's your turn. Now it's your turn. And also to pick back up on... Joseph Lawrence. I did love that they were reunited on the bridge and then Fred is still posturing because it's Fred and saying everything I did was for my family and I will not apologise and honestly like Joseph Lawrence could not care less. Like whatever. Speaking of expressions on his face when when Fred says everything I did was to protect my family like Joe's face is did you though? (laughs) (laughs) And then who gets out of the truck but Commander Nick Blaine. (laughs) Son. Son. He says it eight times. Eight times. There's two people that Fred never fully understood that they didn't like him. It's it's June and it's Nick, clearly, because he's keeps calling Nick son. And with June saying, you know, I miss Alfred and having all that sort of reminiscing, thinking she's actually believing all of that. He just could not ever wrap his head around the fact that Nick and June actually hate him. Mm hmm. (laughs) Yeah, Mm. just like he always thought that he had this sort of paternalistic approach to June, he also had the same one to Nick, you know, thinking that he was the young man that he was taking under his his wing, the future of Gilead. So, yeah, because he's so clueless and blinkered because of his power, like his power sort of allowed him to be like so blinkered, it really takes him by surprise, which is just a joy to watch, actually. And I've got to say, like, we always have fun being sort of being mean to Fred, but we never really sort of highlight just how great Joseph Fiennes is yeah. either. And so I guess if we are ever going to say that, now well, is the time. The last chance, <laughs> I suppose. Yeah. Well, is it controversial to say that I felt the slightest bit sorry for Fred in this finals? I mean, I was great overall and I was like, yes, you are getting the justice you deserve. But a 
small part of me felt a little bit sorry for him. And I was like, I kind of hated that part of me, but it was there. (laughs) (laughs) Did anyone else feel that? Yeah. Yeah, well, I think that the show sort of anticipated that people would feel that way because we do know Fred so intimately and it is, at the end of the day, hard to watch kind of what happened Mm. to him. Yeah. But therefore, that's why that line was there to remind us that this is the Gilead that he built. And that's why I thought it was so fantastic that the justice that is meted out on him is actually very Gilead. It's legal. mm. It's a salvaging. (laughs) It is a total salvaging. Yeah. I I do wonder because the, you know, I, when we're recording this, it's a week before it actually goes to air. So there's no way for us to know how this is going to be received. But I do wonder, is there going to be a bit of a pushback about this vigilante justice idea? Mm. And, you know, I think the point needs to be made. It's it's legal. They've been trained to do yeah. this for the bad men, the bad women, the bad people of Gilead. Yeah. And, you know, they make a point of saying that. And also, I mean, let's not wring our hands about this. We've, we've followed these women on their journey. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's a yeah. vigilante story. And yeah. in movies and TV shows, I don't know if anyone watches Mad Max or, you know, Death <laughs> Wish or anything with Liam Neeson in it and questions the ethics of the leads there. You know, like, it's, yeah. it's fine. <laughs> Fred's but also the his. show has... The show has received so much criticism for being torture porn and, you know, mm. that kind of thing. And this is extremely violent. It's an orgy of violence. But for the first time, it's directed at someone who deserves it far more than the women mm. did, right? So mm. it's totally flipping that on its head. It's yeah. actually a very fitting death for a commander. Like, I'm sure Fred would probably disagree. Probably his idea of, of what a proper death looks like for a commander is not actually what happened. But it's actually, honestly, it is, it is incredibly appropriate. Well... They make the point of he's drafted the laws, et cetera, about, mm-hmm. the, about justice. So, I mean, it's the ultimate by his hand. Like, he wrote this and yeah. that, that's, it's playing out as he wrote it. And it sucks for you that you're on the receiving end of your own punishment. Eye for an eye and a finger for a finger <laughs> is what he gets at the end. <laughs> yeah, but there's that moment where... June blows the whistle. Well, we, I mean, there's the pash with Nick. Um, which, which was purely just to rub it in Fred's face. Yeah. <laughs> His response was pretty funny. Yes, it was great, wasn't it? What the fuck is going on here? And I'm like, dude, wake up. This happened in your house. Your yeah. wife orchestrated it. Yeah. But also it's showing him, you know, just before he dies, that he's never actually had real love. Like, Serena and him hate each other. June yeah. never really loved him. Like, his life has been devoid of love. And mm. this is the end. Yeah, and we never did get the Fred flashback of, you know, we've seen Serena's mum, we've seen June's mum, like we've never seen Fred's parents. I was actually wondering, because speaking of Joseph Fiennes, I thought, oh, he's gone now. And I thought, well, maybe there'll be some flashback episodes because mm-hmm. yeah. they have very much been putting the grey in his beard yes. this season. And Warren Putman made the comment that Gilead's not a place for old dogs like them. So all of a sudden it feels like this season, Fred just aged 20 years. <laughs> Meanwhile, Serena is pregnant. You know, it's kind of like all of a sudden the way they have aged is very, very different. Mm. And I thought, oh, why are they, are they, uh, are they making Fred look older so that when he comes back next season, like flashbacks, <laughs> he actually <laughs> looks young and handsome. <laughs> That would be good, yeah, um, because he is very funny the way he plays Fred and very terrifying too. And the fool, like there are so many shades to the way that Joseph Fiennes does play Fred. And, you know, I had a big laugh with his entrance a couple of weeks ago yeah. and I'm glad we've had that range. I do, yeah, you're right. It would be good to have some, some flashback. But if we don't, whew, what a way to go. Run. He really did. Like, he liked it. <laughs> Wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, and again, very reminiscent of the scenes 
June in the early scenes. So, yeah, it just was, everything was becoming aligned. Even so similar to the end of last season with June running through, like running away from the Guardians and and a Guardian chasing her with a torch. Only here it's many, many torches. It's it's like last season on crack. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I appreciate that they had the presence of mind to put the torches in a circle. (laughs) Yes, I know. (laughs) To the swarm. But, um, yeah, it it was nice visual. um, It looked very much like an eye. Of course. A wonderful full circle moment. Yes. How beautiful um, and like menacing was this enchanted dark forest full of fog and flashing yeah. lights? Like it was beautiful the way they shot it. Yeah, no, it really was. And here's where we get the Leslie Gore track coming in as a callback to episode one, season one. Which speaks to how um, music has been different this season. Yes. In that um, in previous seasons, it has been very noticeable because it's always been very jarring. Whereas the music in this season has still been noticeable and still been um still been quite modern even though they're even though they're not new tracks but in terms of the world of Gilead that we see but for some reason this season the music isn't as jarring it just feels yeah, like it's it just feels like it's fitting yes i think it's had something to do with a lot of this season happening in canada where a lot of those jarring musical moments were to add to the surrealism of Gilead mm. when June was in Gilead. Now that she spent most of the season out of Gilead, it doesn't make as much sense to have those really jarring moments. Yeah. Or it's not jarring because it's not comparing to such a bleak environment anymore. Mm. Mm. Yeah, no good point. Oh, she's in a more modern environment, so therefore a bit of modern music, if, if I can use the word modern very loosely. <laughs> <laughs> 90s instead of 80s, do you mean? <laughs> yeah, Leslie Gore's 60s. Like you mentioned in the evocative setting, Sana, that, like in the woods, that that's what also just reinforced the whole wolf idea for, yeah. for me. I was one, thinking Little Red Riding Hood type stuff, like, yeah. you know, oh, him being chased of course. by. Yeah. That coat, <laughs> which you have one very similar, Miss Sana Kadab. I do, I you do. do. On, on Twitter, people were speculating why these past couple of episodes, June has that freaking red coat that she wore to see Nick. Well, I think now we have our answer. Like, yeah. conveniently wears that coat. <laughs> Bloodstains won't look as obvious. <laughs> um, but also, like, it, it's Handmaid's-esque, Red Riding Hood, absolutely right. Yeah, it's a fitting outfit. And, of course, she gave him a choice of his um, instrument of yes. <laughs> assassination, which, nice... The choice she had to make between handmaids and colonies and all these horrific choices that, you know, which is the <laughs> which is the lesser of two evils? None of them, really. I had a bit of trouble making out what the two choices were. I could see the gun mm. and then I couldn't really make out what the other thing was. Did anyone catch that? Well, it was a whistle, which is what Aunt Lydia would blow before right. before salvaging. Right. Okay, mm. so Fred would have known what the, what the whistle meant then, you think? Yeah, I'd say so. Or, or not, but it's such a weird, random second choice that he probably would have been frightened by the unknown of it. <laughs> Either way, it wasn't looking good for him. I, I mean, I, I would say so. Did that, like, yeah. He wrote The Laws of Gilead, so I mean, I, unless the, the whistle's a Lydia touch, but... Um, it's almost in that moment he's not even really considering the two options. He just looks like, at the gun and he's like, he you can't it. shoot me. You, can, you, can, you know, completely underestimating her ability to shoot somebody. Yeah. <laughs> I loved the mirroring here between um, the start of the season with Esther yeah. and June handing her the knife to, yeah. to do away with um, the Guardian and here where Lawrence and Nick kind of hand her Fred on a platter and totally. she can do what she will with him. Yeah. Do your worst. It's funny because that, that Esther episode when she was covered in blood, I said at the mm. time, reminded me of a vampire movie. Yeah. And I've got to say, um, I feel like we got those vampire vibes back again. Look, it's a genre I love. <laughs> um, but 
it sort of went in a place that I wasn't expecting. Do we talk about the biting now? Yes. Oh, my God. Oh, my goodness. Foreshadowed a few episodes ago with, uh, you know, little baby Angela. Little <laughs> biters. Yeah. I didn't quite know what they were doing there, but the first thing I went to was kind of a, a biblical reference of Eve biting the apple and that being, you know, something that's taboo for a woman. Mm. I, I went there. Where did you go? <laughs> okay. I don't know. I was just... <laughs> I was just there for it. I was the same. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't understand. So, like, I went back to the beginning to watch that scene to to find out again exactly what June's narration was when she was dancing with Fred and Jezebel's when they were talking about biting to see mm. if that was foreshadowing something that I could have possibly picked up. But yeah. I still don't know what. Well, the biting well I was means. just stuck on the wolf still. So I mean, it just seemed like a thing a wolf would do, like just the bites of of yeah. pack animals, really. So I, yeah, primal. Anyway, the next day, cut to the morning after the night before. They're all emerging from the woods <laughs> with a bit of a so that happened vibe to it. Um, I love the sound of the car alarm. It's just kind of like <laughs> someone got a good park. Like, it was just like back to, back back to, to reality. reality. Absolutely. Yeah. I just love that touch of the, the woodland sounds and then some I cars it, starting up. Is it a fact that, like, are they kind of reborn in a way? Is that what we can read into it being that basically their salvaging took all night, you know, and now they are leaving the woods just as the sun's coming up? I think it's a new day. Like, it's Waterford is not in the world anymore. Like, he, the architect, you know, the original bad guy of Gilead is no more. And just the woodland sounds continue for the end. There's no end track on the episode. Mm-hmm. We've still got a couple of scenes left. But, um, yeah, that, that just sort of returns to... You see the springs and the birds and the... <laughs> yes. Which is... Because it, it, it brings it back to us talking about the therapy circle. And, of course, once June got involved in the therapy circle and she was and she was taking it away from Moira's direction to a whole other direction and we wondered what that would be. Mm. <laughs> I think we got our answer. Yes. So she really did take it in a different direction. But um, Moira was always afraid that it was too much for all the women. But I think... Yeah, by the birds singing and the dawn of a new day, it sort of feels like it was exactly what they needed. I remember we were discussing after that therapy episode, you know, whether you needed forgiveness to move on and heal or whether you could actually use anger as a way to heal. And the assumption was that you had to move past the anger and forgive. You know, I'm very interested to see if this act of really intense anger and violence will actually help these women move on will help them heal. Mm. So my answer to that that I that I landed on was because Joseph Lawrence had said it will not be enough for you. I think that, as, as I said, got under her skin and she thought about it and I think that she's come up with something which she hopes will be enough. Mm, so yeah. right now I'm thinking that it will be, you know, that it probably will do its job. That said, isn't it so interesting, Luke's reaction Yep. Mm. It was yeah. really devastating. It really, from the from the euphoric high, which almost feels wrong to say that. But anyway, um, the euphoric high of seeing Fred get like torn apart, it was brought back down a bit once you see Luke's reaction because it sort of highlights again just how much he doesn't know mm. of, like, does he even know about salvagings? Like, no. Yeah. Mm. This is not the first person she's killed. <laughs> yeah. But also, she has to leave now. She, she's on her way out. She says, I'll be gone soon. So it like it's this is it for them for this way. And it was it's the second time that an attack in the woods has separated them, you know, but this time it's of her own making. So it's just that 
finality. Oh my gosh, I yeah. think oh I let myself really think about what that meant and I didn't understand when she said just give me five minutes and I thought why where are you going? You know just have a shower come back. Like, a little something on your face. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, yeah. you think this is the end of them? Well I think she's heading out. I yeah, think she's I off. was really left wondering there when she said that line because this has all taken place under the cover of night in a no man's land between states. She's not under Canadian mm, law, no one necessarily knows this has even happened. She could get away with it. So I was a little confused there when she suggested that she's going again, that she might be leaving and on the run. Or at the very least, she can't stay there. Like with that household, knowing what she's done, like it's, that would be a too far. Um, no. Maybe she's moving in with Emily and <laughs> family, <laughs> but I don't think, like to me, what she's done now is untenable to stay in that household. Mm. But why? But why one of the beauties of the murder of Fred is that, like, you know, so many women are victims of crime and mm. the perpetrators just get away with it. You know, mm. they don't even get charged, let alone go to trial. And this is an instance where all these women got to have their revenge and they're going to get away with it because it was in no man's land because Canada yeah. no longer mm. cares anymore. It's, it's no longer in their jurisdiction. And Gilead actually wants Fred dead and the women aren't in Gilead to be tried for it anyway. So they actually are fully getting away with this. Mm. So why does she have to leave? Well, I don't think she can stay in that house with Luke and Moira. Because they're just too horrified or they would be too horrified about what she do. So so that means June gets the justice that she needs, but she doesn't get a she doesn't get a happy ending with her family. Look, I, look, mm. I know this show doesn't really do happy endings. Mm. <laughs> I feel yeah. silly even saying that out loud. And I was wondering, there was um, a scene earlier on where June is looking into the kitchen from the outside, and she and she's seeing Moira and Luke and, and Nicole, Nicole. Mm. and it did look like a goodbye. That's as she's heading out mm. to the woods. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I just assumed it was. A goodbye. I'm off. I'm off to do something now, but not a. I'm leaving and not coming back. Same. Yes. Well, I think at that point it was a. I'm risking this to go do this, and still going, because it's something she absolutely had to do. Is it because Luke will see her differently now? Is yeah. that why? All right. And Moira, I think, because that's not Moira's path as we know. And I think she knows Nicole's in great hands. Why couldn't she just have a shower and not tell them? I know. She's really great at not telling people things. Put a wet one on your face and you'll be fine. (laughs) I can't see Luke being so unable to understand her rate. Like, I feel like they need to have a few more conversations about it, but he would come around at some point to understanding. Like, I can't see her, him casting her out and cutting this off because he's so horrified. Like, Gilad's horrific. I think in the the cold light of day, literally, I don't know, that was a goodbye to Nicole. Like, I, certainly, yeah. uh, I'm not going to be here every morning to greet you in the cot. It did feel moment. like a goodbye to Nicole. Mm. And, of course, the moment she sees Luke, her first words are, I'm sorry, again. <laughs> like, she cannot spend the <laughs> rest of her life apologising to Luke for things she's done. So, <laughs> all the more reason, I think. But, um, anywho, we've kind of gotten into speculation territory. So, guys, that is the end of season four. <laughs> um, and can I just say... Fred's dead. Fred's dead. <laughs> Drop dead, Fred. <laughs> sure did. And someone scrawled, don't let the bastards grind you down in nice penmanship. That it had to have been June because it was in her wardrobe. <laughs> nice touch. <laughs> nice penmanship. What the hell is happening as we go into season five? 
predictions. Haiti, you've got the floor. <sighs> oh, my goodness. I mean, uh, she wanted to move past Fred so she could be with her family. That's what she told Emily. So I'm making the prediction that, just like Lawrence said, no matter what she does, even killing Fred, she's not going to be able to move on. Yep. And she's possibly moving on from Nicole and Luke and Moira. She's Who's not her moving family? on from Yeah, she's not moving on from Fred or Gilead or Serena or Serena. Sanakada prediction. Oh my goodness. Um so I'm struggling with you your read that this is a goodbye and and her leaving, but I suppose it sort of matches with what has consistently been my long-range prediction which is that she does go back into Gilead and I think she will never be satisfied until she gets closer to Hannah or tries even harder to get Hannah. So I don't know what to say. I yeah, I don't know. That's okay. I'm gonna leave it at that. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Natalie Hampley. Well, I'm thinking of Serena and wondering what her next steps are because she said that she was determined to not have that baby in this sort of very fancy prison that she's in. And I think I wonder if episode one opens up with a Serena birth episode. <laughs> but yeah, I wonder where this leaves Serena now and we know that June and Luke are not going to give up on trying to get Hannah out. They will always need to do that and I think we've got so many things that we wanted to see in this season you know because Fred is dead and June is free so what do we still need to see and we still need to see a resolution of the Hannah storyline so if that means I wonder if maybe June and Serena it was always great to see them teaming up it's always great when they are riffing off each other I wonder if there's some sort of teaming up Serena now becomes the intelligence asset or something or is there some somehow up yeah in a really diabolical way not as like friends all all together you know (laughs) Serena will make sure that she's getting whatever like she needs out of it but um, their worlds will have to collide somehow Mm. next season Mm. and Hannah is still this storyline that has not been wrapped up you got that right Um, yeah I don't have much more to add than that yeah I think definitely the way we leave Serena the ambiguity of that back to the maiden name I think there's a book deal (laughs) pending (laughs) book tour even and I have to mention the nick of it all which is there was a bit of a storyline last season and it never picked up this season, which was the deal that he sort of made with the Canadian embassy because he did have that meeting oh, with them yeah. and we never figured out what that was. And so I think one of the other storylines that gets wrapped up next season is I think we might actually find out what the hell Nick has been up to. And also Lawrence is very much, you know, June said this season that he is a good man. And even when she was, I think even when the words were coming out of her mouth, I think we know he's not quite there yet. <laughs> so so that's what I am looking forward to in season five. I think that Lawrence has made some good strides, still has a way to go. Yeah, I, I think that conversation last episode on the phone, appealing to his better nature, such as it is. Yeah, I think that's stayed with him and he did her a solid this episode (laughs) yeah I agree so there's something definitely I think we'll see the effects of like you put so eloquently before Nat with the checklist of things that he's got going in his favour now I think he and Putnam (laughs) probably have a bit of a have a power play more so than usual Lydia we didn't see Lydia Lydia. this episode Um, and that whole Janine thing that's going on back uh at their abode. The Magdalena colonies, we haven't seen any of those happen yet. I don't really want to, <laughs> just putting it out there. And there is an opening, considering we know that Nick's married, mm-hmm. that there is an opening to have a really 
great female character, yes. a new one coming next season. All right. We've got a long way ahead of us till we see any yeah. of this play out. I don't right. think they've even started writing it. But in the meantime, we have, as I say, interviews. We're, we're not finished on this finale. We're going to unpack the whole thing with the director of it, Liz Garbus. So look for that episode. It cannot wait. Got a whole bunch of questions there. And as I say, Bruce Miller is going to join us for a season recap. So we'll look over all of the amazing moments across this season four. I can't even begin to tell you how excited I am about this. So if you have questions for Bruce Miller, maybe hit us up on, use the hashtag Eyes on Gilead. You know, tell us what have your favourite scenes been across the season? Yeah, moments you might need a little bit more of a deep dive on. Yeah, we really want to get into where we are as Fred cops it and we're out of season four. So yeah, hit us up. Use the hashtag Eyes on Gilead. So thank you for listening. We hope that helped. What a time it has been. I'm not going to tell you what we're off to do. We're certainly not going to go do that. (laughs) We're going to go and interview Liz Garbus. That's a far more useful outlet for our emotions. (laughs) But look, I would love to thank my co-hosts, who I cannot do this without, Haiti Island, Sana Kadar and Natalie Hambly. And thank you for listening. We love that you choose to watch this series along with us and we would love to know what you think of the finale. As I say, reach out on Twitter, especially with the questions for Bruce Miller, and you can find me at Anything But Fifi. Haiti, where can we find you? At Haiti Island. Sana? At Sana underscore Kadar. And Natalie? At Natalie Hambly. And use that hashtag Eyes on Gilead. It is firing up. <laughs> it's kind of a bit too much for us to go through, but there are some great tweets. There was one, actually it was it came in through the reviews on iTunes. So yeah, while we have you leave a review and a rating, if you can, some people who aren't on Twitter use that as their <laughs> way to get in touch. Um, and someone, Australian, made the wonderful observation of the water brand that is Waterford (laughs) Mineral Waters and now that I've seen it I cannot unsee it. That was hilarious so thank you for that. I retweeted that if you want to have a look at that. Hilarious. If it's okay I would just like to take this chance just to say We'll give a shout out to the people in different countries that listen yeah. to us. That absolutely blows my mind, mm-hmm. especially because we're from Australia and no one ever pays attention to us and we're so far away. So the idea that they're not only people in America listening mm. to us, but people throughout Europe as well. Scandinavia, China, Saudi Arabia. We've, mm-hmm. we've had um, Kuwait charts. Yeah, Kuwait, Romania, um, Argentina. It- Columbia, like it's it's amazing. It blows our mind. We sit in a studio in our time in Sydney, <laughs> in our little therapy circle of a Friday morning with Jeremy. It's weird, but it's amazing. So thank you. Yes, thank you. Yeah, thank you guys so much. It's great. And just on that, if you speak other languages in Australia and or know someone who does, SBS On Demand is subtitling The Handmaid's Tale in simplified Chinese and in Arabic as well. Because that's it for episodes of The Handmaid's Tale for now. But the whole season is available as a box set now at SBS On Demand. So go for your life. Rewatch it. Yeah. That, <laughs> just enjoy the wonder, the gift that was this season four. But look, that's it for new episodes. But we're going to do a few more <laughs> episodes of the podcast because there, are, there is so much still to unpack. So as I say, we've got Liz Garvis and Bruce Miller coming. So keep an eye on your feed for those. And we'll be back I'm coming back for season five. I hope you guys are too. Hell <laughs> <just> yes. <laughs> yeah, can't wait. It's too far away. It is too far away. Um, 
But anyway, in the meantime, if you want some recommendations for other things you can watch now that you don't have any Fresh Handmaid's episodes, head to SBS Guide where um, we've got some lists and suggestions of things to catch at SBS On Demand. Ars and Gilead is produced by me, Fiona Williams, and edited and mixed by Jeremy Wilmot. Until next time, don't let the bastards grind you down. You don't own me, I'm not your property, so take your dirty building stinking eyes off me. Should we just get some food? You want a beer? How about a fucking beer? 